This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Appreciated Clint's prayer. Thank you for that. Let us soak in that conversation with God for a little bit. I think that is really good for us. Uh, if you're not having nice long prayers at home by yourself, like in your, in your room alone or in your closet or wherever, let me tell you, you're missing out. That is a, that is a sweet place. I have to echo Derek's comments uh, at the beginning of service. Thank you, Derek. Uh, yes, 2022. Wow. 2002 was 20 years ago. Blows my mind. When I was a kid in the 80s growing up, there was this TV show called Beyond 2000. I don't know if anybody remembers that besides me, but it was like, you know, all this future technology and computers and stuff like that and i got real into that that wow you know beyond 2000 and it seemed like a long way off and now 22 years ago wow (laughs) time moves on 2022 is here and it just got here and fresh year in front of us right fresh year, brand new, ready for us to move into it. So what's on the horizon? What's on your horizon for 2022? What looms large for you? Some big decisions, maybe? Maybe some uh, big changes? Maybe some big uncertainties? Just a big question mark. I don't know what what 22 is gonna, 2022 is going to have for you? What's on your horizon? Psalms 37, verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Faith is the victory. Whatever it is on your horizon, faith is the victory. So I want to remind us this morning, a simple lesson, really, just to commit your ways to the Lord and trust in God. Whatever comes, it's going to be okay. Maybe there's big change. Maybe there's no change. Maybe that's what we're afraid of. Maybe maybe we're afraid that I'm not going to see any change at all. But whatever is on your horizon, commit your ways to the Lord. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14 this morning. So if you want to turn there, you can follow along. A little background before we start chapter 13. This is Saul's early reign. He's been made king. And the first big deal that he had to do that, that came up is that he had to encounter was an issue with the Amalekites, or Ammonites, rather. And they threatened this city in Israel, and Saul mustered a bunch of volunteers that came 
to, to defeat the Ammonites and just really scatter them. Not, not two of them were remained together of the Ammonites as they fled, scattered, and defeated. Uh, and he did that with volunteers that numbered over 300,000. 330,000 people showed up at uh, Saul's call. Wow! That is a big force. So, that, that went really well. Attacked the Ammonites, defeated, scattered them. And now we're a couple years later. 1 Samuel 13. Now when Saul reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself just 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with him, were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. So Saul and his son have these uh, two uh two parts of the army of just 3,000 people. And the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan, around this time, attacked a garrison of the Philistines, who were the real overlords of Israel uh, during that time. You're, if you remember, this is we're, we're just right at the end of the whole Judges period. And it was, all, it was almost all Philistines, right? I mean, especially with... Um, Samson, right? But the Philistines, they really oppressed Israel uh, on and off during this, this period. And not, that hasn't changed. And they've got a garrison stationed right there in the, in the middle of the nation of Israel, right? Right there in the middle. So Jonathan uh, goes and he attacks this uh, in Geba. Then the Philistines, I'm in verse 5, gathered together to fight with Israel. So the Philistines see that their servants, Israel, has, they, they have seemed to have developed a chip on their shoulder, and so they need to get put down. Right? It's an insurrection, a bit of a rebellion. Well, they need to go squash that. It happens. So they amass this huge army, and they show up, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. So, I mean, just, just the cavalry alone outnumbers the Israelites two to one. Just the cavalry. Not to mention all the thousands of chariots, and the Bible says people, which would be the infantry, as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So, just hopelessly outnumbered. Just, just hopelessly outnumbered is the scenario. And they came up, the Philistines, and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Avin. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the, the people were distressed, then the people, this is the Israelites, hid. They hid in caves in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. So whatever, whatever place they can find that seems to disguise them or hide them, that's where they go. And they hide there. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan 
to the land of Gad and Gilead. So some of them just, just completely, you know, we're, get, we're getting out of this whole place. And they cross the Jordan and then they leave the country basically to, to the east. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Now what comes next, and I'll summarize this, is, the, is when he is gathered his forces together and now he waits for Samuel to get there. He waits a week and Samuel doesn't show up. At least not when Saul really wants him to. And he sees that his men are frightened. His soldiers, his army, they're scared and they are leaving. They, uh, they are scattered. So he offers the sacrifice himself. That was a big mistake. Samuel shows up, explains that, you know, uh, very upset that he has done foolishly, that God is, is now going to give the kingdom to somebody else. And then he leaves. And things look pretty dire. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Now this works worse. Saul had been earlier. So Saul's forces have been substantially reduced to just a fifth of their number. They are now at 600. We'll see that again uh, later. And the Philistines have this huge army and they have this big camp up on Michmash, which is this uh, kind of a hill or, or plateau area. And just to the south of there is this kind of a, a, a bit of a gorge. There's a, a, a creek, what we call like a creek bed that runs through there. And on either side of this creek bed, it, it's banked by some really steep rock, uh, rock outcroppings, which we'll see that go up and you can climb them, but they're, it's a fairly treacherous, but they're not super tall. It's not, you know, like hundreds of feet, but it's enough to where you can't just run an army through there. But at one spot, which they call the pass of Micmash, the land sort of flows down into that valley and it makes for a level crossing in this one particular area. So you've got this like, it's kind of like a big ditch almost. And then in this one area, it's, you can go across it. I'm just setting that up. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. So there's the camp of, of the Philistines. They send out raiders in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shual, another company turned to the road to Beth Horon, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. So I've got this big camp, and they they're, you know, probably are just wanting more supplies or to uh, harass the Israelites further. So they send out these raiding parties. They've, they've got lots of people there, of course, at this big camp. They send out these, these raiding parties in verse 22. So it came about on the, on the day of battle. I'm sorry. 
I skipped ahead. Verse 19. And there is no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines had said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. So keep in mind, the Philistines have, I mean, they're like, they're the overlords here, right? This is their time. And they have prevented the Israelites from making any swords or spears by basically saying you can't, they can't any of you be blacksmiths. So maybe they withheld iron or uh, they just send on patrols. But in either case, there are no blacksmiths in Israel because the Philistines have prevented that for the purpose of preventing the, the Israelites from developing weapons, making swords, making spears. So verse 22, on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people except Saul and Jonathan. So they, they had managed to have a couple uh, swords or spears. And unsurprisingly, they're with the king and the crown prince. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So there's this pass and they go out and they send a garrison to uh, just south, south uh, west of Michmash where this pass is and they station this garrison there. I assume that's probably to, to guard this pass so that you can't just come through there and then ride on it into the camp. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him uh, were about 600 men. So Saul is with his 600 men and the Philistines have countless thousands. They've got a big camp. They've got a garrison stationed at the, at the pass. They've sent out raiding parties. I mean, and, and they don't have any sword. They don't have any weapons. Complete opposite of what it was when Saul had 330,000 against the Ammonites. Uh, I don't know that he had any weapons then, but they certainly had some, some manpower. They don't have that now. Things just look pretty dire for Saul. And he feels it. And you notice that. What is, what is Saul doing? Nothing. He's not doing anything. Jonathan, however, he says, he doesn't try to rally anybody. He just, he goes to just, just him and his armor. Come on, we're going to do something. We're going to do something. 
Paul, Saul is not doing anything. Action or inaction. Courage or fear. So 2022 lies in front of us. And it is ripe. It is ripe with the good works that God has prepared beforehand. And that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2. God has prepared good works for us to do beforehand that we should do them. Ephesians 2.10. That, that, that's, that verse of Scripture it means an awful lot, I think. Things don't just happen. You know. God has plans. He has already made them. And we're coming up on There's a year's worth, I suppose, if the Lord wills, worth of things for us to do that the Lord has planned for opportunities for good works. They are lie ahead of us. Will we do them? Fears will come. There will be uncertainty. There will be times when we're just downright afraid. Afraid of what might happen. Afraid that we won't have enough or be enough. Or afraid that we'll mess up. I think that's Saul. Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree. Perhaps partially paralyzed with fear. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't have enough men. Doesn't have any enough weapons. And this isn't the only time we see this with Saul, right? I mean, this, this, we see this repeated in his encounter with Goliath. You know, and just a few chapters later, First uh, Samuel 17, and the Philistine Goliath drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And you recall that, that the Israelites were just scared. They were just scared. This one guy comes out, this giant, beastly man, just huge, and insults them, insults God. Nobody does anything. Nobody does anything. And David shows up and he, he, he can't believe it. He's like, nobody's doing anything. This guy's just saying all this stuff and we're just sitting here. He can't hardly believe it. Saul is like, sitting in his tent at that time. I don't know what he's I don't know what he's contemplating. Maybe, maybe he's just too fixated on how big and strong Goliath is. Maybe he's just too fixated on how many the Philistines are. 
in, in, in this uh, earlier encounter. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in how big our problems are instead of how big God is. There's this saying, uh, it's like, don't, don't tell God how big the storm is. You tell the storm how big your God is. Uh, it's not really biblical. God says, no, no, you, you come tell me. <laughs> Tell me everything that's, that's, that's on your heart. You tell me. But the spirit of it is that God is bigger than whatever is going on. Those words from that Ellie Holcomb song that I, I like to quote. That Whatever you're afraid of, uh, whatever's scary to you, it's not scary to God. It doesn't scare God. But there's all set under the pomegranate tree. In verse 3, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Now, verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp uh, rock outcropping on one side and on the other. Uh, the name of one was Bozes and the other's name Sinna. And one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. So there's this sort of like a trench that Jonathan is going through, presumably to a, you know, uh, approach by the Philistines by stealth. And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And that's why I'm reading this to you this morning. Jonathan understands with his perspective of faith that there is there's nothing that says that it's easier for God to save with more soldiers than with less soldiers. With more weapons or less or no weapons makes no difference to God. He is equally capable in either scenario. And whatever your scenario is, God is capable, and more than enough, able, whether you've got more money or less money, whether you're out and about and traveling and things are uncertain versus your home and safe in a nice, quiet neighborhood with low crime and lots of law enforcement. Neither situation is any easier for God to save you Surrounding ourselves with securities 
that we then start putting maybe too much of our faith in. But God's saving power is not in those things. It's never been in those things. It's never going to be in those things. He may work through them or he may choose something else. I like the corollary to that. Psalms 33 Verse 16 and 17. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. You think that what saves us is a big army? No. That's not what saves us. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength, because salvation comes from the Lord. Jonathan walked by faith. But all Saul saw was that there were more Philistine soldiers. You know, the irony of Saul's 600 men versus this full army that he was up against that paralyzed him, the great irony in that is that when Saul had a full army and he was trying to track down David and his 600 men, that full army didn't help him. Isn't, isn't that ironic? He finally got the big army. And now he's tracking down somebody that was in his impossible situation. Just 600 men. Didn't help. Didn't help Saul. Be careful what, what you wish for. Because you just might get it. And after you, after you get it all and you, you've got it, you find that, you know, this really doesn't help. Perhaps Saul's too fixated on how big the problem is and not how big God is. What do you see when you look? What fills your thoughts? What sits on your heart? Do you see innumerable Philistines and yourself a small band? Or do you see a God that saves with many or few? Do you see a giant named Goliath? Or do you remember all the lions and the bears that God has in times past delivered from? Sometimes I think the greatest blessing God gives us is just memory. But I think we sometimes forget to take advantage of that. Remember all the times. Remember the hard times that God has pulled you through. So that when you come to the next one, you're like, you know what? God's already done this a dozen times. 
Do you see, like the ten spies that went down into Canaan, a land of giants and you a mere grasshopper? Or do you align yourself with the two other spies, Joshua and Caleb, whose names we remember, right? <laughs> we don't remember the names of those ten other guys. <laughs> we don't want to be associated with them. We want to be on Joshua and Caleb's side. Yeah, we can take this who stood with the Lord's promises. That he had already given the land into their hand. <clears throat> you know, each of those is met with either inaction or action. God, you know, Saul's sitting under the pomegranate tree, not doing anything. Jonathan, he's going by himself. Him and his armor bearer, the two by themselves, they're going to do something about this. Or Saul sitting paralyzed in his tent with a whole army around him. Goliath comes out there. He's not doing anything. Or are you with David? He shows up and says, "We got it. I'm, I'm going out there. I, I'll, I'll go out there with a pocket full of rocks. We can't. We can't just stand around and let this happen." Are you with Joshua and Caleb? It says. Let's go. Let's go take. You know, God has given it to us. It's, it's land full of milk and honey. Let's go get it. Or are you with the other ten spies and the rest that were convinced by them? No, no, no. No, it's, you know, why? Why don't, maybe, maybe it's not too late for us to just go back home. You know, maybe we can just go back to Egypt. Maybe it's not too late. You know, but we, we just really, we shouldn't have left home. We should have just stayed there, not done anything. Action or inaction? Courage or fear? You get to choose, you know. Somebody's not doing this for you. It's not just the way things are and you just along for the ride. You get to choose. Which of those? You get to choose a perspective of faith, to walk by faith, or you get to choose to walk by sight. That's your choice. You get to choose. Courage or fear. So, let's see what happens. As if we need to read, right? We're reading through this, and I don't know how familiar we are with this, but we know what's going to happen. We're confident. We already know what, how the story ends for Jonathan, really. We don't know the details, but we know it's going to end well because Jonathan is he's doing something with the Lord in mind. Do we have that same kind of confidence for our story? So, so Jonathan the armor bearer said to him, All right, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. So Jonathan said, Very well, let's cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, Come up to us, then we will go up, for, and we'll know that the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So this is his plan. 
He's got a plan here. He says, we'll go up and we'll go up and we'll, we'll show ourselves to them. We'll, we'll come out, we'll you know, come out of stealth mode. And we'll show ourselves to this garrison of the Philistines. And if they say to us, Stay, you know, stay there, and we're we'll come down to you. Then we'll stay there, and we won't go and attack them. But if they say, "Come up to us," then we'll know that's a sign that God has delivered them into our hands, and we'll go up, just the two of us, and we'll take. Them. Sounds like a good plan. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, "Look, the Hebrews." They're coming out of their holes from where they've hidden. <laughs> they're, they're, they're coming out of their little Hebrew hobbit holes that they, that they scurried and, uh, away into. You know, they were scared. They're, they're starting to come out. So then the men of the garrison called down to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. We got, we got something for you. Why don't you come up here and see? So Jonathan, I mean, here they are, right? And remember, this is like a rock, sort of a little, like a, like a big ditch or a small canyon that they're in. They're looking up, and there are these guys up there on the high ground. So we've got to crawl up this to get to them. And so Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and says, Well, now, let's think about this. Seemed like a good idea at the time, but they do have the high ground. Maybe we would do best two out of three. No. No, that's not what he said, is it? No, we know. We know it's not what Jonathan said. Jonathan turns around and says to his armor bearer, Come up after me. Follow me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Now, I really appreciate Jonathan's perspective here. A little bit of extra. Jonathan's given a cherry on top in his walking faith. He's also walking in humility. When he says, the Lord hasn't delivered them into my hands, he says, the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. I love that. He's not doing it for Jonathan, is he? He's not living for himself. He has committed all of this to the Lord. This is not for him. It's, it's for his, his country. It's for the Lord's people. Who are we living for? And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer behind him to the top of this. Where this Garrison of, of soldiers, probably dozens of soldiers, are up there. And I mean, <laughs> you talk about being vulnerable now. Donovan is climbing up vulnerable. But the, the Bible doesn't waste any time there. It doesn't, there's no cliffhangers here. <clears throat> it says that he climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. Just, just simple as that. Jonathan climbs up there and they fall upon him. He starts, come on. He gets up there and they're just going down. And as he came up, uh, as his armor bearer is coming up after him, 
His armor bearer is cleaning up leftovers. So whatever Jonathan's not killing, he's killing. Verse 14, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. And the garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and they saw this, and they saw that there was the multitude of soldiers, but they were melting away. And they ran here and there. So Jonathan has like set off this big domino effect. He's getting up there and he starts just tearing in to the Philistine. And I'm not sure what it was that caused them so much pride. Maybe God just put it in their hearts to, to be uh, afraid of Jonathan. It may be that, John, that God was with Jonathan fighting so clearly that it was obvious to the Philistines that he was fighting with supernatural ability. But whatever it was, they started scattering. 20 of them were already dead. And the rest of them are, are trying to get away, and there's there's so much scurrying going on, and it just came out of nowhere. It's like, you know that you know they didn't have a big army show up, right? And all of a sudden, there's just people are just running and, and screaming and dying, and oh, what, what's going on? Who's attacking us? And so there's this mass confusion inside the Philistine camp, and they're running around, and, and Saul and his people they see this. And Saul said to the people who were with him, he sees that something's going on. And he's like, who, who's not here? Is everybody here? So he calls Roll. Now call the Roll and see who has gone from us. And when they call Roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Oh. Jonathan and his armor bearer are gone. Everybody else is here, but just the two are gone. And Saul said to Isaac, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. <clears throat> so Saul wants to bring the ark of God, and he wants the, the priest to, to cast lots in front of it, so that he can know that it's safe to go, uh, or, or what, what he should do. Now it happened while Saul talks to the priest, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So it just gets more and more just craves in the camp of the Philistines. So Saul said to the priest, okay, enough, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor among the Philistines there. So they, they, they show up there and they see that all the Philistines are running around just totally confused Killing each other, they don't know what's going on. Very great confusion, verse 20. There was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with the Philistines into their camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So there had been a number of Hebrews who had sort of defected or had been serving the Philistines. Keep in mind that this, this isn't like some unusual uh, 
occupation. The Philistines, I mean, they, they went into place. And there would have most likely been a lot of, you know, Hebrew interaction, maybe buying, selling, trading, stuff going on. And in this case here, you've got Hebrews that are just, just totally, they're, they're, they're with the Philistines. They're in their camp, they're, you know, serving them, servants, slaves, perhaps. But when all of this starts, those, they defect or uh, forget the Philistines and they start fighting with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had uh, been hiding out in the mountains of Ephraim in the holes and thickets and the caves, etc. When they heard that the Philistines fled, they also came out and, and followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Avin. That's exciting, isn't it? I mean, Jonathan shows up and is, oh, you come up here, we'll show you something. It's like, they didn't know what they were going to get, did they? They had no clue. They didn't know what hell. God showed up right then. It says that the earth even quakes. Wow. Because Jonathan had the courage to do something. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. As much as we like our spectator events, our big 100,000 seat stadium sporting events and stuff like that with the, the glass boxes and the windows that go up and down and the catering and all the food and, or the, the stadium style seating and new theaters with Dolby Atmos and or just, you know, nice recliner and a big 70 inch TV. We like to sit and watch stuff, don't we? Christianity is not a sit and watch religion. It is not a spectator sport. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And get up. Time to get going. We can do that. We can do that because God has not given us a spirit of fear, has he? Is that what God has given us? No. Not a spirit of fear, but of power. A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So get out there and take a hold of the opportunities, those good works that God has already set out there. <laughs> he set them up and staged them for us. Let's do it. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured 
the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you want to start the year off with your brothers and sisters praying for you, and come on. Come on up here. That's a great start to the year. We all do that. If you want to commit your way to him, but you haven't yet committed your life to him, you haven't yet uh, been baptized into Christ, then come on. The year is in front of you. It's time to start a new life. Let's come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.